Hi, I'm Kelly Cervantes, and this is Seizing Life, a bi-weekly podcast produced by Citizens United for Research in Epilepsy, CURE. Today, I'm excited to speak with Kristen Godale, a PhD candidate in the University of Cincinnati's Neuroscience Graduate Program, where she focuses on epilepsy research. Kristen is also an epilepsy patient who was diagnosed at a young age and dealt with both seizures and stigma for most of her childhood and adolescence. She's here to tell us about her journey with epilepsy, her decision to become more public about her experiences, and her goal of attaining a PhD to become an epilepsy researcher and help find a cure. Kristen, thank you so much for chatting with us today. I am just so excited to talk to you, someone who has epilepsy, who is now studying it and and going into research. And I just think this is going to be a really fascinating conversation as you have experienced both sides of the spectrum here. I want to kick it off by finding out, you know, when did you have your first seizure? When, what was your receiving your epilepsy diagnosis like? I was diagnosed quite young, around two. And frankly, I don't really remember what it was like to have my first seizure since I was so young. But I remember um, it was hard growing up with it. Um, you know, my mom um, first saw that I was having absence seizures, um, the kind where you just stare off blankly and then it disrupts what you're doing and she first noticed it when I would play with my toys I would drop them and um, she didn't know what they were I was taken to an epileptologist and I was diagnosed with epilepsy and you know even in the 90s that was quite a diagnosis Um, we weren't as far advanced with our research and clinical understanding of the disease at the time and it was it was hard I'd say, for my family and myself. You were diagnosed at such a young age. What was that like growing up with epilepsy? Did, how did it impact your childhood? It, it impacted it, um, I'd say, positively and negatively. Positively in the sense that I got to spend a lot of time with my family. Um, my mom would make these overnight EEG visits so fun. Uh, she got me an easy bake oven one time. We did crafts. But, you know, the next day when I went in and I had to miss school or, you know, it, it was hard because, you know, I, I'm sure you've experienced what it was like to do an overnight EEG, but um, it's hard to watch your child or be the child on the bed and they're flashing all these lights at you and it's hard. Um, But like growing up with it, at first I didn't really understand it. And as a young child, it didn't bother me very much missing out on a bunch of stuff, but it wasn't until I was in middle school, it got became harder to live with. Um, I struggled in school. Did it impact the activities that you were able to participate in? Yeah. I wasn't able to do any sleepovers and I was just so afraid of all my peers seeing me have a seizure and of course that happened and I lost a lot of friends because of I had epilepsy and I had seizures and at the time I was always mad like oh why am I losing friends but as an adult I understand why seizures are really scary for adults um, let alone kids. And um, I remember one time I was in middle school and I had a seizure 
And then I remember kids mimicking me have a seizure. Ugh. And it was hard. It was hard. Middle school is hard regardless. There's no yeah. amount of money you could pay me to go back and relive middle school. But no. to then have um, epilepsy and going through middle school with that, I, I, I can imagine the, the stigma that, that you felt along with that. So um, how was it when you got to high school? Did it get any better? Did you tell people after um, they witnessed the seizures in school in middle school? Um, so when I got to high school, I, I still tried to hide it. Um, so I moved to a different city um, my dad got a new job and I had a new chance to start off fresh. No one knew I had epilepsy. I'm going to hide it for as long as I can. I did that. But then again, you know, you have a seizure, you lose friends and it's the same thing all over again. And it was hard. I'm, I mean, I know that's a simple thing to say, but it was, it was hard growing up with epilepsy. It really was. And it wasn't until I was in college, I started to be more frank with people and I talked about it. I talked about epilepsy, like, look, I have epilepsy, this is a seizure. And that was the first time that I remember being a, an official advocate for the disease and telling people about it. And I think that's, you know, what we're here to do. But what you know, changed your mind to, to start telling people that you had epilepsy versus keeping it a secret? Oh, wow. Um, there was this, there are a couple things, but I remember um, when I was in high school, I had really bad status epilepticus event. I was hospitalized, um, it was bad, but my neurologist actually encouraged me to start to learn about the disease. Um, they gave me books. I'm in like the hospital with all these electrodes on my head and like, having seizures, but I'm reading about epilepsy. And um, he, um, my doctor then invited me to um, an advocacy event they were having at the hospital. And, you know, I was just volunteering and I came into contact with this young boy and he obviously had epilepsy. He was like nine or something. And he looked at me and he's like, you have epilepsy? And I responded, yeah. And then he began to ask me all of these hard questions, like, can you get married? Can you have a job? Can you go to school? Can you have friends? Can you like do all of this stuff? And at the time I, I wasn't sure, but of course I said yes. And after that event in my life, I, you know, I began to reevaluate how I viewed the disease and that really started my advocacy journey. And in college, that's what made me so open about it. And, you know, as a blossoming neuroscientist who wanted to study the disease, it wouldn't look too great if I started to hide it from the very beginning of my academic journey. Hi, this is Brandon from Citizens United for Research in Epilepsy, or CURE. Since 1998, CURE has raised more than $70 million to help fund more than 235 research grants in 15 countries around the world. Learn more at cureepilepsy.org. Now back to this episode of Seizing Life. 
was there a difference in the way that people responded when you told them up front in college about the epilepsy versus how they responded in middle school and high school? Of course, yeah. Uh, I think it also has to do with the level of maturity of my peers from one time to another. Um, but yeah, everyone was very accepting of it. Um, if I had a seizure, they were fine. They called, um, they followed my seizure action plan and they called my mom or they called the ambulance when needed and no one was really afraid to work with me or be my friend and um, I was very thankful for that. Well versus in high school where I didn't tell anyone and when I had a seizure it was a totally different reaction because they didn't know and it was like surprise. Right. So, At what I guess what advice would you give to um, two children, students, teenagers who have epilepsy, and also to their parents to help guide them through those years. Are there ways that, are there things that you wish you would have done differently? Are there things that you found that worked for you? Because I, I just, those years are so hard regardless. Um, right. What, what is your advice? Uh, well, for the children who have this disorder, I would just like to say one, you know, don't be afraid to talk to someone about it and don't be afraid of feeling rejected because you have epilepsy. And I say that because I wish someone would have told me that. And I think it would have made my childhood, my childhood much more fun. <laughs> and, um, you know, you don't have to be ashamed. You really don't. I just wish that someone told me that. I know that's a simple, um, it's a simple reaction, but that's really what I wanted to hear when I was like five, six, seven. I just wanted someone to tell me it would be okay. And that, you know, my life wouldn't be ruined if I had a seizure. Because that's what you think as a kid. You have something that you can't really explain to people and you don't, you aren't mature enough to really understand what it is. And just like, it's okay. And other people have it and you'll be fine. Um, for parents, um, I'd like to say that I had great examples um, of just being proud of your child. Um, my, my parents just loved me and they didn't, they weren't like ashamed of my epilepsy and they encouraged me to be who I was. And they always told me it would be okay too. So, so I know, I know there are different uh, kinds of epilepsies and some are worse than others, but that doesn't matter at the end of the day. It's just, it'll be okay. And that's a simple answer, but that if I was a kid today, that's what I would want to hear right now. Well, and I think there's something so incredibly powerful about hearing those sentiments, you know, that epilepsy is nothing to be ashamed of and it will be okay, but especially to hear them from someone who has epilepsy. And, um, and there aren't a ton of people out there who are doing that and are sharing their story. Is there a certain responsibility that you feel or that you think that um, that epilepsy patients 
who are living, uh, who are able to live a full life, um, do they have a responsibility to be advocates and to, to be a voice? I believe so. Um, that's what I do. And I've made it my life mission to just spread awareness about the disorder. And I know there's other people with epilepsy, like you just said, that can't do it. And it, if they can't do it, then you have to. And I, you know, I, I know that not everyone likes talking about difficult problems and, but someone has to do that. And I think if you're well enough and you can live life to a certain normality, then you should. I can't commend you enough for your willingness to speak out and your advocacy. We've, we've spoken with several college students uh, who have epilepsy and going through that experience. What was college like for you? Did you ask for accommodations? What, what was your college experience like? I actually, I didn't ask for accommodations in college. I actually didn't receive accommodations in grad school until I had a status epilepticus event in 2017. And the reason being is because I think I was too proud. And I didn't want people to think, oh, you have epilepsy and that's why you need this extra time. And I just, I didn't want anyone to think that because I still, to this day, I believe I can do everything and anything as well as someone who doesn't have epilepsy. But, you know, that really hurt me at the end because I had some problems with accommodations um, for some classes. And since I didn't have all the paperwork filled out, I had a hard time. So, you know, looking back, I would definitely tell any college students who go to your accommodations office immediately and just fill the paperwork out. Don't be like me. Don't wait. <laughs> and don't, <laughs> let your, don't, get, don't let your pride get in the way. It just doesn't matter in the end. What matters is, you know, you're doing well in school, getting your grades, and then going off to wherever you need to go. Have doctors been able to establish a cause for your epilepsy? Um, yes and no. They've located some epileptic focuses in my brain as to what might be triggering these events. However, I, they believe that it is genetic. I know my great aunt's and her brother had epilepsy. So I believe that's where it's come from. Have you but done genetic testing? I haven't. And Why not? Just, I can't afford it. It's not covered under my health insurance and we've wanted to do this over and over, but it's just so expensive. And I believe all adults and children should have access to this genetic testing. It's part of the diagnosis. It shouldn't be a luxury treatment option. It's part of it. So Absolutely. Yeah. I, we, I couldn't agree with you more. And the more, as a scientist, the more data that we have on that genetics, the better treatments and potential cures we can come up with. Do you currently have seizure control? I don't. Um, I still have seizures from time to time. Um, I can't drive or anything like that. So that's um, one thing I still have to live with. And it's very obnoxious. I wish that I could just go to like McDonald's, get my like snack and just come back, but I can't and that's okay. 
Um, so I want to talk about the research that you're doing. Let's talk about Kristen, the scientist. Um, what is your focus? So I study temporal lobe epilepsy, as what you know is the most common form of focal epilepsy. It's very difficult to treat, and a lot of patients continue to experience seizures despite their anti-seizure medication. So there is an urgent need to investigate this type of epilepsy and possibly develop new uh, disease-modifying therapies. So um, I study the mechanistic target of rapamycin, or mTOR pathway, and it's emerged as a very promising new target in our epilepsy field. So studies indicate that pharmacological inhibition of mTOR with an antagonist called rapamycin is actually um, reduces seizure incidence in patients and in rodent models. And um, the problem is we don't really know where rapamycin acts to produce these hopeful and positive effects. Rapamycin could act directly on these hyperexcitable neurons in the epileptic focus, or it could act on other targets in the brain, or it could either act, even act in the periphery. So disruption in the brain, specifically in the hippocampus, stands out as a hallmark pathology of temporal lobe epilepsy. Hippocampal granule cells, which are in the hippocampus, um, act to limit the flow of excitation through the hippocampal circuit. But in What does that mean in like regular? Like, I'm sorry. I'm like, oh. <laughs> I'm like I, I, I had you. I, I was. I was with you, and then you lost me at the end. Okay. Well, basically, so you have your circuit, and mm -hmm. you have a bunch of stuff coming in. These dentate granule cells actually filter all the information and they like stop too much information from going into the rest of the circuit. Got it. So um, if those aren't active or if those are compromised, um, like in temporal lobe epilepsy, it's actually thought that they become hyper excitable. So now you have a bunch of, of, <laughs> you have a bunch of information going into the circuit nothing to filter it and this is creating a disruption for the excitatory and inhibitory balance that is usually present in the circuit. So when this happens um, and these dentate granule cells are all hyper excitable now, um, we you have a problem and with this mTOR pathway um, it's shown, it's been shown in the literature that the signaling is actually increased in these dentate granule cells during this epileptogenic period. And, um, you know, treatment with rapamycin can prevent also these pathological changes in the granule cells that contribute to this um, seizure development as well. So we have all this stuff and going on and uh, basically our hypothesis for this research is that the way rapamycin works um, to produce its disease-modifying effects that are so promising is by blocking part of the mTOR pathway, specifically in granule cells. And to test this, we actually use a viral strategy to genetically delete um, this part of the mTOR pathway and right now we're trying to determine if this treatment that we've um, developed 
to understand what's going on if it reduces seizure frequency, duration, and severity, and whether or not it prevents all these morphological changes in the dentate granule cells that also contribute to hyperexcitability in temporal lobe epilepsy. So, that, yeah. So, I mean, really excite like the potential for actually being able to help patients. I think it has to be so exciting for you to like yeah, it's be on the front cool. lines and to know that you could be changing people's life with science and to know personally what that means. Yeah, uh, I'm really excited about it. And I know this research is very novel. Um, it's really difficult, actually, because there's not a lot of peer-reviewed literature about specifically what I'm studying. And um, it's been frustrating at times because anytime you do a new project, you have a lot of kinks to work out. But I'm really thankful, you know, to be in um, Dr. Steve Danzer's lab. He's been a great mentor. And I really wouldn't be able to be where I am or be the researcher that I am without him. And uh, I'm thankful that I, I actually, I want to bring this up. In 2015, you actually invited him to a cure event. He spoke and I actually saw that. And I'm like, I want to be in this guy's lab. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. So yeah, Cure actually brought me to my current advisor. I love that story. That's amazing. I know. I saw this. I'm like, and I already followed Cure. And (laughs) I was like, this is the guy. That's thanks, Cure. Brilliant. I love that. Um, I have to ask, uh, with the current COVID pandemic, how is that affecting your research? Um, Are you able to get into your lab? Are you... um, So we shut down completely, um, I think mid end of February. We were um, completely shut down for two months. It wasn't until last week that my institution actually allowed us to start coming, you know, doing our experiments again. So I did my first experiment in two months last week. It felt good, but you know, there's still a lot of limitations to what we can still do. Um, right now, my research is still pretty slow. And again, it's, uh, it's gonna delay my research by four months. Um, thankfully, I do have a lot of funding, so I'll be, I'll be fine. But for other researchers that don't have funding to you know, sustain, the support for their graduate students and postdocs. It's, it's going to be a real problem in the research community, um, especially for our epilepsy researchers. I think that's something that's so important for people to understand is that the, just because you, know, you may have been out of the lab for two months, but that two months is compounded when you're dealing with research because you are sometimes working with organisms and now, or, or, models, mice models or anything like that. And now you have to um, go back and redo portions of these studies that are time sensitive. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I know that that weighs heavily on, on CURE as an organization as we try sure. and support this, the research community um, that you know, this has forced a setback for epilepsy research and um, 
It's heartbreaking. There's nothing to be done about it. You're obviously safer at home and that's where you need to be and not in the lab until it is safe to be there. But it's, it's, it's a, a tough casualty from, from this pandemic. Yeah, for all research. But I know, like, I'm sure Cure and, like, NIH and NSF and all these organizations, they should be understanding of our delays. And I know when I submit my progress report to NIH, I'm going to say COVID delayed my research by X amount of months and can't do, I, I can't do anything about it. I think everyone's going to be very understanding, yeah. or at the very least, they should be. Oh, yeah. Kristen, thank you so much for chatting with us today. You, you were a delight and it was just so, so incredible to speak with you. Thank you so much for doing the research that you're doing and uh, cannot wait to see the discoveries that you make in the years to come. Thank you so much and thanks for having me. It's a real honor. Thank you, Kristen, for sharing your experiences as a patient and research student. Your story is an inspiring example of overcoming the challenges of epilepsy, and we wish you continued success as you earn your PhD and begin your career in epilepsy research. CURE knows the importance of supporting young researchers early in their careers. And even in the middle of this global pandemic, CURE-funded research continues. We hope you will join us in pursuing our mission by visiting cureepilepsy.org forward slash donate. Your support and generosity are greatly appreciated. Thank you. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of CURE. The information contained herein is provided for general information only and does not offer medical advice or recommendations. Individuals should not rely on this information as a substitute for consultations with qualified healthcare professionals who are familiar with individual medical conditions and needs. CURE strongly recommends that care and treatment decisions related to epilepsy and any other medical condition be made in consultation with a patient's physician or other qualified healthcare professionals who are familiar with the individual's specific health situation.